Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Fugay. Hey, Chris, how are you? Pretty good, Rachel. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to hear what you got for me today. So I got a fun sort of different activity that I got to do this past weekend that I've always wanted to do. It's not really AAC related, but you know how we sort of like try and push the envelope for our professional learning experiences. It really got my my mind working about maybe putting together a professional learning experience around this activity. So for years and years and years, there's been this activity that I've been wanting to do. It's called GISHES, G-I-S-H-E-S, GISHES. Um, in the last couple of years, they've shortened it to just be GISH. And what it is, is the Greatest International Scavenger Hunt, or something like that. I think that's what it stands for. And it's typically over the summer, and it's a week-long event where uh, you sign up, you pay your money, and then they say go. And on, when they say go, they release this massive, long scavenger hunt uh, that is meant to be like, if you if you can do this, and you can do that, and you can do these sorts of activities, you earn points. And it's all like tied to different charities, and um, sometimes they're really just kind of wacky you know, off the, I mean, mostly it's wacky off the wall stuff. Well, it's so like I said, I've been trying to do this for years and trying to get the family to do it. And we've always had something, you know, it was the family vacation that week or, uh, you know, someone had to work or whatever. It just never worked out. Well, what this organization did uh, this past Saturday was they had a mini event. So the mini event was uh, just a six hour event. So you could sign up, pay your handful of dollars. And then, you know, at the moment that uh, it launched, they gave you this, this, I, I don't know, it was probably maybe... 50 to 65 different items that you would go and try and make, you know, um, and do. And like one of them, again, tied to charity, the idea here was they were trying to raise $25,000 that they could then give to India in the, in, because at the time of this recording, the pandemic is still running rampant there and they were trying to raise funds for some specific causes there. Uh, they ended up meeting the, the meeting and it was $75,000 that they ended up getting. Um, but it was so, fun this the the whole family participated and it was just six hours of trying to look through these uh this list of accomplishments and go okay who can do that can we do that can we try and do that and it was just it was just a it was just a blast that sounds awesome can you give me more specifics like give me a specific example because like what i'm imagining sounds really fun my imagination's kind of like gone away from me and i need to know like what does this look like in real life yeah so when they released the um the list of what the items were um, i'll give you just some handful examples right so one was this one i spent about 30 minutes on just myself it was called in fact if you check your twitter because i know you're more instagram than twitter there'll, there'll be a message from me in there rachel Wow, I feel like I want to check it right now, Chris. Twitter? You talk you're talking to me on Twitter? You need to tell me because I never get notified because I never use Twitter. <laughs> I go on every like four months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Twitter, you're the Instagram. But what it was, this particular scavenger hunt item was to write people. Um, it was called the Gish Compliment uh, Mosh Pit. And you send compliments to people, and the compliments could not be about their appearance. It had to be different things that you appreciate. So, you know, I wrote a bunch of different people about 
like people who inspire me, people who keep my energy up, you know, people that um, that are cr- constantly doing creative and innovative things. And so I put you on that list and I just said, you know, hey, I appreciate you. And, and here's what I appreciate. Did you find it? Did you find what I? I found it. Should I read what it? Is it? What did I... Yeah, I don't remember what I wrote exactly. But... <laughs> OK, five days ago, Chris Bouguet at AT Tipscast <laughs> said to me, hey, at Rachel Meadle SLP, can you believe after almost 200 episodes recorded together that we've only ever met once in person? I appreciate how fun you make learning language, your calming demeanor, and your compassionate spirit. Hashtag gish, hashtag compliment mosh pit. There you go. There you go. And so, you know, I spent about 30 minutes doing that, you know, and the idea was then take screenshots of all those, put them into a collage and then send them off to Gish, you know, and so that's what that was one that I did. One of the ones that uh, we we ended up having a lot of fun with was that um, we have like a chalkboard in our kitchen. And so one of the ideas was to draw in chalk an endangered animal, put a hashtag that and then the, the idea was to try and promote saving these endangered animals. So you draw an endangered animal. So Melissa drew what's called a zoatl, I think. It's like a little newt sort of creature. So she looked up and said, oh, this is endangered. Let me draw that, you know. And so we put that on the chalk. But of course, the idea was that you could go out and do that in your driveway. It didn't have to be on a chalkboard. And, and there was all sorts of ones like that. There was one about what's something you always wanted to try and do. Do that and make it out of coffee grounds, right? Um, so I did, we have these little cookie cutters of like ninjas, you know. And so I put these little uh, cookie cutters and I put coffee grounds and then made a little wet and made a little like um, kickboxing, uh, you know, display of art and took a picture of that. And so there was just such like creative, fun thing. Oh, one was um, to create a work of art to to support the LGBTQ community where you had to make the work about art out of Skittles. Um, and so you could be a, like a message. Uh, and I did uh, Love is Love, you know, out of Skittles. But you could also make like a, a portrait of somebody out of Skittles. So it was just like really fun. It was really creative. The, the kids and I got together and like made stuff together you know uh did a tiktok if you want to find my tiktok there's one out there with me and me and uh, my daughter dancing because one was make it you know a tiktok dance to call it the gish you know and so we did this tiktok dance um but the whole time as this was rolling and i'm doing this and i'm participating in this it's um it's running in the back of my head of course about professional learning and about uh generative language and all the language that's coming out of these sorts of activities and i just kept thinking about how fun this would be from a one from a language perspective but then two as what if this was like aac related do you know what i mean create a create a a meme that explains motor planning you know create a meme that explains aided language stimulation or you know what i mean like what if there was just this long list of things and you get earned certain points and teams could do it like my mind was just racing like that this could be something that um and I might work putting work on putting together for some sort of future conference or something, you know? Okay. First of all, Chris, you're gonna have to send me that TikTok because I wanna see you dancing on TikTok. <laughs> so you're gonna have to send that my way. Maybe you should post it to the Facebook group. <laughs> if you guys want t- Chris's TikTok video, you're gonna have to reach out and say, Chris, we heard about a TikTok video, and then we'll make him post it. Number two, I completely agree. As soon as you started talking about this, I was like thinking twofold. Obviously, Chris, we do a lot of professional development. We also do a lot of professional development courses together. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this would be so great for our pre-conference at Closing the Gap. We're doing a pre-conference at ATIA. And so I just feel like, how can we get 
people engaged in the learning process in creative ways. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is just like, let's think outside the box here. It doesn't have to be this boring thing where we're just like, you know, relaying information and packaging it in different ways. We can really inspire creativity. Um, and we also can do that with our students, right? So I also was thinking, you know, how many language opportunities, like you said, for generative language, um, how can we get kids engaged? It kind of reminded me of that, um, one of our courses, Chris, the hour by hour. Uh, remember when the pandemic hit, we did that parent, uh, you know, parent-friendly training of like, what are you gonna do with your, you know, child? You're with them all day long. Um, and one of them, uh, we talked a lot about creating and the creative process and using that as a language opportunity and then you know even better is having some type of artifact of what you created to share um, and I feel like that piece is so important and I always try to weave that into all of my my sessions that I'm doing because you know it's an opportunity for kids to share what they've done and kids are really motivated to create and then to share about that um, and so I think that's just an important reminder for the students that we work with. Well, and it was totally, like I said, um, I, there were certain people that were participating, you know, because um, uh, there was, you know, all sorts of social media happening that were doing it by themselves. So it's totally something you could do independently. But I happened to do it with my family, and it was totally this great sharing moment that we were having together. And what really struck me was this will be a memory that we have forever, where any other typical Saturday, where we're not any, we're not doing anything special, you know what I mean? It won't necessarily stick, you know? And that's the same thing that was coming out with me in the professional learning or with like, like you said with the generative language for students is that this will stick more you're doing there's a togetherness factor there's um there's a fun factor that creativity factor it just helps it stick more uh it sticks sticks better than if it was just you know your regular humdrum saturday you know if it was just your regular speech therapy session if it was your regular we're going to sit here for the next 30 minutes and do whatever you know color uh on this piece of paper and you know do a coloring book or do a puzzle the memory of that particular puzzle and that particular coloring book will just disappear but doing an event like this a scavenger hunt it'll stick you know so chris for people who are like oh my gosh this sounds amazing like how do you sign up how do you do this well so you know i don't get paid by gish i just happen to be a fan you know and the way i did it is that i went to the website gish.com g-i-s-h.com and like that event is over but of course the summer event where the week-long thing is coming up so you could get a team together and sign up for that if you wanted to um again i don't i don't think i'm gonna be able to do it because i have other stuff going on this summer uh, and won't be able to make that particular week but then they'll just i think with the success of this these little mini events i would imagine they're going to keep doing more of them because uh it was really accessible to me the fact that it was on a saturday and it was just a couple hours i could commit to that or a week long it's a little bit harder to do um uh but so uh, yeah that's that's where i would uh, point people to go is gish.com I also think that this is definitely something that school teams can, you know, try to create, um, you know, with their students. I feel like this is something that you could do, on, you know, a smaller scale in your own neck of the woods. Um, so I definitely encourage everybody to start thinking about this um, because I feel like if we can find creative and innovative ways to motivate our students to teach language, that's what we need to be striving to do. So, you know, if you have any ideas, we'd love for you to share them in our Facebook group. 
just search Talking With Tech, you'll find us there. Um, also, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, I feel like Chris, I'll do this little plug right now. You subscribing to the podcast, make sure you're aware of all the episodes that we release every week and it helps people find the podcast. So we'd love to keep spreading AAC awareness. Uh, that's why we do this podcast, right, Chris? We want people to learn about AAC. We want people to share information. Um, we have how many episodes, Chris? I mean, you wrote me on Twitter saying we have over 200. Is that true? Yeah, we are creeping up on 200. We're, I think, somewhere in the 180s now. Wow, that's really wild. Um, so there's lots of content, you guys. Lots of, for you guys who are new to this podcast and new to listening, um, you have a lot of, of past episodes. Um, and since I'm plugging things, Chris, let's plug our Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. There you'll find all types of behind the scenes, extra podcast episodes, tons of videos. I share a lot of resources that I sell on my website for free in the Patreon. So you definitely want to check that out. We've been doing it for well over a year. So there's tons of back content at this point. So that website's patreon.com backslash talking with tech. Um, we'd love for you guys to keep supporting the podcast. Chris, I got a few messages this last week, most of which I sent to you. People just reaching out saying, I love this podcast. I love you and Chris. Thank you for inspiring me. When things get tough, I feel like at least I have Chris and Rachel to listen to in the car, you know, on my way to work or in between job sites. And so we really appreciate those messages. Um, I can't tell you how much it means to Chris and I to get feedback that this podcast is making a huge difference in your practice. And we're just really excited that the content we create is being shared and is valuable to, you know, our community. Um, so thank you so much. And please keep reaching out and telling us, you know, if you like the podcast. And of course, we'd love for you to rate us on iTunes um, and give us a review if you do enjoy this podcast. Again, that helps people find us. And um, we also just love reading them. It keeps all, all the work that goes into this podcast feels, um, you know, a, a lot better when we read the direct impact it's having on our listeners. So, Rachel, are you ready to hear about the interview that's coming up? I'm ready. So the interview is with Meryl Schnapp and Mark Brown, and they're two people that recently got new jobs. Uh, I think in this this past year is when they first got their their job. And in fact, like us, Rachel, they they had not met in person when they started working together. They've only ever been uh, digital together. But their jobs are a they are AAC coaches. That's the actual their job title. And they work up in Chicago. And so they reached out when we, they've heard us talk about coaching and that I work with a team that has been coaching. They said, hey, maybe we can share notes. And of course, I said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? Let's talk about coaching. And so that's what we're about to hear is, uh, is my interview with, with Mark and Merrill. Great news, everybody. We're going to be presenting a pre-conference workshop for Closing the Gap called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC. This six-hour virtual workshop takes place over two days, October 7th and 8th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time on each day. This interactive workshop explores strategies for teaching students of all ages language by engineering environments so all communicators have opportunities for rich, meaningful practice in the context of everyday routines. Participants will get to explore how to design experiences using interactive technologies, which empower the student and their support network, putting them on the path to achieve their lifelong language goals. During the workshop, we're going to take an in-depth look at building the skills of communication partners through structured training centered on both consulting and coaching. We'll be sharing the latest tools and strategies for establishing a culture of language learning using AAC. Everybody loves engaging tools. 
You can sign up now by going to bit.ly slash designAAC. That's bit.ly slash designAAC. Can't wait to see you guys there. Oh, and there's one more thing to mention, Rachel. What's that, Chris? I'm actually doing two pre-conferences on those days. I'll be presenting with the other authors of the new Inclusive Learning 365 book as well. The title of that pre-conference is Inclusive Learning 365, Breaking Down Barriers and Creating a Culture of Inclusivity by Design. That pre-conference is also on October 7th and October 8th, 2021, but it will be at 9 to 12 Central Time on those days. If you'd like to learn more about how to redesign educational experiences through an inclusive lens, then you can register for that pre-conference by going to bit.ly slash inclusivectg. That's bit.ly slash inclusivectg. Come spend the whole day with me. See you there. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm joined today by Meryl Schnapp. Am I saying that right, Meryl? Yes, you are. You got it. And Mark Brown. Brown, do I have that name right, Mark? You said it correctly. (laughs) So welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast, and let's kick it off with just a little bit of who you are and what do you do? Sure. So again, my name is Mark Brown. I'm an AAC implementation coach with a background in speech-language pathology and I work at Chicago Public Schools. Um, and prior to coming to CPS, I was an uh, I was a speech pathologist at St. Louis Children's Hospital on the AAC team, as well as the cleft craniofacial team there. And Meryl? Um, so I am also an AAC implementation coach at Chicago Public Schools, along with Mark, um, and a speech-language pathologist by training. Um, And yeah, prior to this role, I've worked in clinics and early intervention and um, in a couple different schools. So let me make sure I'm hearing you correctly, because I got to clean out the earwax a little bit. AAC implementation coach, is that not specialist, not facilitator, but coach? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And yeah, tell us about that position. Like what? That is um, unique, I think. I don't think, I mean, for as much as we talk about coaching on this podcast, I haven't heard anyone that has that as a job title. So <laughs> we got the right people here. <laughs> yeah, and we, we actually have someone that you know to thank for that. Our, our manager, Jennifer Mitchell, who was previously out on the East Coast in Virginia. Uh, as you know, she uh, was staying up to date with the literature and uh, different modes of professional development. So she was kind of pushing for this program to be created for a while. And just this school year, she was successful and was able to get the two positions approved. So that's right. We are um, fully AAC implementation coaches. And that's actually how we connected because we um, have been struggling to find other people who have roles that are strictly related to AAC and coaching. And obviously you've developed your program and have coaches in, in um, your district as well. We do. Their job title is not coach, though. It's one of those mm. things where it's like that's part of what they do. They're still the, their job title is specialized instructional facilitator for assistive technology. And we use coaching as one of the things they do under assistive technology. It's not exclusively uh, coaching. But maybe we've been thinking like, mm, 
the the needs are so great, like maybe that is something we should be pursuing is having a full-time position or multiple full-time positions that are explicitly that, you know, coaching people through how to implement AAC. So that's great. That's great, Jennifer. And I do go way back. Um, I was trying to recall when I first met Jennifer, I think it was at, the, so um, there's this organization called the International Society for Technology and Education. And it is like the largest ed tech uh, organization in the world. And it is, the, the, each state has their own division of that. And so there's one in Virginia called the Virginia Society for Technology and Education, right? And I bet you there's there's one in, in uh, Illinois as well. Um, so I had met her at one of those conferences, and I, we, I think we bonded over the fact that it's very few uh, speech therapists go to those particular conferences. Like, wait, you're a speech therapist? I'm a speech therapist? I can't remember exactly how we met. I just remember, you know, having this kinship with her. And then we've carried on their relationship ever since. And I got to visit Chicago a couple of times, and we had lunch, uh, you know, at a conference and said, hey, you're here. I'm here. Let's go have a lunch and stuff. So that's so great that um, she recognized this need. Uh, so let's talk about how it's only a year old. So, so um, how did you each get interested in AAC and how did you find yourselves in this role? So um, I guess my path to AAC happened um, the way it does for a lot of SLPs in that um, I was working, you know, with these kids who, you know, weren't using verbal language, it wasn't really developing and they needed something, something else. Um, and, you know, I guess like a lot of other people, I started with some sign language, you know, text, and you always, you need to pursue more. Um, you need to get that robust language. Um, and then I ended up for a while in uh, therapeutic day schools where the majority of my caseload actually, um, was comprised of AAC users. And that's where I really started to recognize that, that strong need for coaching. Um, you know, like I, I saw most of my kids maybe twice a week and all day long, they're sitting in a classroom. So at the end of the day, I kind of felt like what I did in my sessions didn't matter all that much. Um, and that they were really learning in the classroom and learning from their teachers. So I saw the position and I saw that opening and I got really excited because I, I wanted um, to do more of that all along. And Mark? Yeah, and uh, building on what Meryl said too, that's something I really relied on her quite a bit for. Because um, I, I had experience with AAC, obviously, with the the team in St. Louis, um, but her perspective in the, in the classroom and what AAC looks like in that context has been, that's been new for me um, from a, a clinical standpoint. So that's something I've, I've been really happy that I've been able to collaborate with Marilyn. As far as my introduction to the AAC world, uh, it, goes, it goes back to the first client that I had in an undergraduate clinic. I went to Butler University and he was an AAC user. And looking back on it, I had no idea what I was doing, but the clinical director really helped me out in that sense. And um, that I wrote about that experience as I was applying to graduate school. And when I was accepted to um, Fonbonne University, it's really small in St. Louis, but I ended up getting a grant from the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services. 
to specialize in working with that patient population. So I was able to get um, externships focused on AAC, go to conferences, um, do research related to AAC. And that really kickstarted everything for me, which led to that position at the hospital. And it all just uh, went from there. Awesome. So talk us through, like, what does coaching look like in your neck of the woods? So, you know, if uh, someone needs help, do they call you out? Do you do you have a, a plan? I mean, you have a pretty big school district there to try. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chicago <laughs> Public Schools is not small. Um, and there's two of you, you know, so let's walk through it. Like, how are you uh, tackling this endeavor? That's been an ongoing discussion. Um, so we're, we're working through that as we go along. A lot of um, the people we've connected with have been referrals from um, our team who does AAC evaluations. So they, they've been really good about connecting us with teachers and SLPs um, who express an interest in learning more and in, in having those conversations. And then um, once once we've met with some teams and once we've we've started developing these coaching relationships, we've gotten internal referrals from them as well. So someone will talk to their friend and say, "Hey, I've been doing this, or I met with these coaches. Um, you should you should seek them out." I think that's uh, something important that we should mention too is how our our coaching program. Uh, how we operate in relationship to the other AT and AAC professionals in the district. So we have a team of six itinerants that are phenomenal and their responsibility is conducting evaluations, conducting trainings. Um, they do, they also do a ton of implementation support as well. Um, but again, like you described, Chris, just due to the, due to the size of the district, they, they get so many requests and, uh, to do evaluations that they don't have the time to sit there and do an actual coaching process. So they, they provide the evaluations, they make equipment recommendations, they conduct the trainings. And then when the teachers and SLPs and paras, they take that information from the trainings and evaluation and put it into practice. If they're struggling or maybe things are going really well and they want to take it to the next step, Maybe it's a, something related to literacy and maybe they're struggling. That's when um, they, they would call out a coach and that's where we come into play. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. So let's say someone clicked on this podcast and this is the only episode they ever listened to. They might not have a good definition of coaching. What do you mean that this other team does training and then you come out and do coaching? Can you define the differences between those a little bit and kind of paint a picture for somebody that's just hearing those words and what they might mean? Yeah. And uh, for anyone who's listening to our answer isn't the right answer. It's just kind of what's fit into our district. Um, so don't, I mean, every, every place might have coaches, uh, operate a little bit differently. We, we view training as laying the foundational skill set. So they're, they're, um, teaching SLPs and teachers aided language stimulation, um, core language, core language implementation, literacy strategies. They're touching on all of that and providing resources. Coaching follows a different form of professional development in our program. So we're not doing a top-down approach. It's more of a collaborative partnership. So we're, um, 
And that's actually why we, we ensure that training is a prerequisite. So when we do coaching, we're speaking the same language. They already have that foundational skill set, and we can build from that. So, Merrill, let me ask you this. So I've, I've, someone came out. They said, we're going to use AACX. They, they've delivered AACX. I've got the training on aided language stimulation. I got it. I don't really know how to do it. Like I have an awareness level of what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to push the buttons when I'm with a student. And now I need someone to help me practice that skill and get better at it. What does the structure look like? Do you have um, like, okay, well, I'm going to come out and I'm going to do six sessions with you, or I'm going to do eight sessions with you, or I'm going to do 12 sessions with you. And here's the structure of what it'll look like. The first session will be like this. And the last session will look like this. Do you have something like that? Or is it more free form? Um, it's very free form uh, um, as of now. So typically someone will reach out or will um, be introduced to someone who is interested potentially in coaching. Um, and so uh, we start out by just arranging a meeting and talking and um, getting, we'll explain a little bit about what coaching is and how that differs from training. And then really try and find out more about their needs. Um, you know, what does AAC look like in your classroom? What's going well? What challenges do you have? Um, and really find out about that process and how that looks and what their needs are. Um, from there, we've seen it kind of take two different tracks, um, or typically where um, with some people we'll meet and we'll have those discussions and we'll brainstorm a little bit, maybe you know consult a little, send some resources, and they're happy and they go on their way and they're, they're comfortable with what they're doing. Um, and then with some other professionals who we've worked with, it really does develop more into a formal coaching process where they're developing goals and will do observations um, and work from there towards achieving specific outcomes. Gotcha. It sounds like a really highly personalized experience that's based yeah. on their needs, not what you're imposing on them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's very self-directed. And that's another way that our coaching program differs from our AAC itinerants that are doing trainings. Um, they, due to the nature of training, they have to make sure that the foundation is there. Um, but once it's there, we come in and they can kind of guide and direct the process exactly how Merrill described you know we we've done anything from observations video recordings we've made a ton of resources for people but it is completely personalized as are the goals that they develop too mm -hmm. so how much time would you say you spend with people it does it sounds like it varies like some people you could be you know maybe two or three and call me when you need me again and I'll do another coaching session with you and others it's more um intimate more uh yeah. more 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 frequent would that be a way to put it <laughs> absolutely um yeah we i'm trying to think of our our numbers meryl i think most of the people we've, we've worked with close to and we've been running for close to seven months uh we've worked with nearly so I think over 75 staff members at 20 schools, uh, and this has impacted over 100 AAC users. So I think a vast majority of the staff members have had 
one or two meetings with us. And then there's a handful that have opted for the more formal coaching process where there's goal, goal creation, observations, um, and the likes of which we described earlier. Can I ask you a, a kind of a follow-up question here is, how did you learn about coaching? And what's your own um, experience to get better at it? Because that's one of the things that uh, I feel like th there'd be people listening to this podcast, many speech therapists, many teachers listen to the podcast, and they'd be like, but I don't know how to coach. Like, I I know how to do speech therapy. <laughs> you know, I didn't when I was in school, they didn't teach me how to coach. How do I learn more about it? Um so what's your path to learning how to be a facilitator in the way you are? I'm going to be very honest and say I started in this position with a very wrong idea of what coaching looked like. Um, and I have those stories and I share those stories all the time. Um, Mark's going to laugh, you know, when we're meeting with teams because I always knew there was this great need for coaching. And so at schools where I worked, I think I was coaching, you know, and I dump a ton of resources on a teacher and make a bunch of materials and make that giant core board and just tape it to their wall and do all of those things. And, you know, maybe they would start using it for a week and then it would end up in the corner. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely frustrating, um, but I knew the need was still there. And so I was just, I was doing it wrong. Um, and, but um, I started in this position and um, Jennifer's actually great. You know, she had this background where, where she had taken courses on instructional coaching. And so she set us up with um, a book study and ongoing discussions and conversations. And we, we had a lot of resources on coaching specifically to work with. So Meryl, let me ask you just as a follow-up question there. What was a big aha moment? Like you're reading the book or you're in the training and you're like, oh, this is what I was doing wrong and I should do differently. Like if someone was, if he was listening right now going, yeah, what should I change? Meryl, tell me, what would you tell him to change? There are a few things that I realized were just going very wrong. Um, the first was that it wasn't a partnership. I never approached it as a partnership. I was like, oh, you know what's about teaching. I know about AAC. Here's the information on AAC. Um, and so there wasn't that foundation of, of that like collaboration um, yeah. and of that partnership. Um, it was very much me trying to direct a situation versus having a conversation, finding out, um, you know, what's going on in the classroom, what those teachers need, the teachers needs might be and, and working together to see how, um, we could make something work for that situation and for that classroom. Mm -hmm. I guess it, just to add a personal tidbit to, uh, my, I think my coaching aha moment was, you know, I, I was aware of coaching as a strategy and technique in the AAC community. And I know that there's published literature on it from a variety of resources, but I didn't realize that coaching is a very well-established form of professional development with much, with a much larger evidence base, but just in the educational field. So my aha moment was being exposed to that literature 
and nearly all of it is uh, not I don't think any of it has a mention of AAC in the educational field. It's all related to teachers and curriculums, but we've borrowed a lot of that research and the formal protocol to build our program. So while there is uh, uh, an evidence base in AAC coaching literature about the techniques and strategy, we didn't know how to build it at this large of a scale. So we borrowed from Jim Knight. Um, I know Michael Bouguet, Stan I'm saying his name incorrectly, Bouguet, Stanier, um, Elena Aguilar. We're doing something with Pam Robbins right now too. She's a, she's a coach. And we're, just, we're borrowing from their evidence base and their work to build up our system and our program. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense to me that the the research that's being done in other fields or in other portions could just apply over because we're all we're talking about is building people's skills. You know, exactly. um, when I'm talking about it, I use the analogy of playing basketball or throwing a football. It's a it's a skill that you're developing. Well, this is a skill of, of partner augmented input, or it's a skill of uh, least to most prompting or uh, what. And I really love this approach of personalizing it of saying, okay, here, here are some things you learned about from this other team, which seems to resonate most with you. And which skill do you want to practice for? Do you want to work on your footwork first or do you want to work on your arm strength first you know like well yeah. let's, let's isolate it and get get you good at that can i ask you the people that have participated in coaching what what is the what are the outcomes been you know um and let me just preface this with the people that we've worked with there always seems to be this little apprehension at first like i don't know about having mark yes. Merrill in my you know what i mean have you experienced that too and then does that what is the evolution there? Yeah, we, we've definitely experienced it. And I, I guess our numbers show that because we've had a lot of one to two meeting visits. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot about uh, building those relationships. And sometimes I feel like I'm a salesman or a marketer uh, <laughs> at times, but um, I guess uh, w one of the things that we have noticed, that's an indication that we are headed in the right direction is a lot of the teams that we end up coaching for those more formal and intimate uh, lengths of time, those come from internal referrals. So we, maybe we worked with teacher A at school A, and she, he or she ends up telling other teachers at that school about her experience. And then we end up working with a bunch of teachers from that school doing the observations and whatnot. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a good feeling, but it also is a testament that we're, you know, headed in the right direction and things are going pretty well, although we still have much to work on. I, you know, I think one of the big problems in in education in general, but especially special education, um, is the high turnover rate. Uh, meaning there's a lot of special ed teachers that that look at general ed and go, well, why don't I do that and get paid the same amount? And I'd rather do that than do this. Um, and I, I, there might be uh, administrators out there that think, what if we just like paid them more? Like if we give them a thousand dollars more, maybe they'll stay and we paid special ed teachers more than general ed teachers. And I don't think that's the answer. The answer I think Mark is what exactly you just mentioned is that people go, uh, they get supported by people like you being coaches. And then the evidence suggests that they stay a little bit longer because they're talking about the good experience and how they felt supported and how they've grown as a professional. So they don't want to leave. They want to use those skills because they feel good at it. You know, would you, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that can be used as a tool 
if, if you acknowledge it and embrace that fact uh, as what we're assuming is a fact, then it can really help out your district and help build up whatever program you're trying to build. I mean, it doesn't just have to be in special education. You can apply that same concept to anything that you're doing. So I, I completely agree with you. We actually, we have a fantastic teacher who we're working with um, who in a conversation one day mentioned that she used to have a mentor in her school who left, um, who she, who was fantastic and, and it shows in her teaching cause she's wonderful. Um, you know, and then there was, there was no one left there. And I think she's enjoyed the coaching relationship to kind of have someone there again, to bounce ideas off of, um, yeah. Let me ask, do you do any sort of pre-assessment, post-assessment to show the growth of a, somebody so that they can see, like, I often joke, like, um, teachers growing or professional learning is sort of like um, when your aunt and uncle comes to see your kids. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't recognize how much they've grown and like, oh my gosh, you've grown so much. And I could see that in the, in this, in a coaching situation where like, like I, you're getting better and you don't know you've gotten better. So if you had this pre post to look, look, here's video that you did at the beginning and here's the video you did at the end, or here's the test you took at the beginning and here's the test you took at the end. And you could see the results. Are you doing stuff like that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of been one of the headaches of and opportunities of developing a completely new program. Um, we've had conversations about at least a dozen different ways to measure pre and post results. Um, we've made surveys that have never left my Google Drive because um, they seemed like a good idea. And then once we started the program, they, it just clearly wasn't going to fit. So right now, uh, in the COVID era, during mostly remote learning, the metrics that we're using is all related to the self-created goals that the teachers make and SLPs make. So we're able to say, you know, you started on goal A, maybe it was uh, just modeling core language during a, a math activity five times, starting there. And then as the goal is accomplished and we modify the goal, we can show point A to point Z this is where you've ended up, but um, maybe in the future we'll have something that's more formalized, maybe a Likert scale or something like that related to specifics uh, skills. I, I would love to do something like that, but I, I think COVID is a big barrier because teachers are just working extra hard, just trying to manage remote learning and um, all the content. So adding that to their plate right now doesn't seem like a realistic thing. Yeah, really, like you said, you're seven months in. So you, yeah. this, you got the job during COVID, this yep. all started you, you during the pandemic, not, not transitioning too. I haven't met Meryl in person yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How funny is that? So I, um, Rachel and I joke about this all the time. Rachel, of course, is the co-host of the podcast and we have been doing this podcast. We banter uh, almost every week, you know, the, the, yep, the, the part of the episode that comes before the interview and We've only ever met once and we had been doing the podcast for a year and a half before we met once for like, she happened to be in Philadelphia. I happened to be in Philadelphia. We're like, oh, we're going to be there at the same time. Let's meet up for, you know, for nachos. And we did. And that's the one time in almost, oh, we're closing in on three and a half years, you know? And I think I, I, one of the things is, I think it really helps to show that this form of communication, you can still have very um, meaningful relationships, professional 
um, uh, uh, collegiate relationships where you rely on each other. Um, and, and, uh, it, it's not all doom and gloom. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Absolutely. I think it's going to be interesting for us, um, to figure out how that transition is going to work in a post COVID world, since we have been coaching remotely this entire time. Um, and there, you know, there are definitely some things that I think could be accomplished better in person, but there have been advantages to working remotely too, where, you know, we could see teachers from two schools across the city back to back, or um, our teachers are able to record themselves in their Google Meet sessions at the press of a button. They don't necessarily even have to share those recordings with us, but they can rewatch it later and then we can have a conversation. Um, and so I think once we're back in person all the time, we're going to have to work through some of those things that have just come so easily in this format. Would you anticipate that those continue? Like they would continue to do those sorts of, use those sorts of tools and use those sorts of strategies? Hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it, it might just be... Uh... I just kind of assume that right now it's just such a, an expectation and a necessity to have the laptop open and the camera on. Uh, so we, it's a luxury, but it'll be a lot easier to forget that maybe when we return back in person, it might uh, become a burden to have to remember to do that every time. Um, I don't know. It, it's something that we'll definitely have to explore, but hopefully we can maintain that because um, we, we've been following the work of Jim Knight pretty closely with our coaching program um, and, and his work on using video as a teaching tool and as a coaching tool has been vital to our program. So like Meryl described, the recordings that we, we generate, we really encourage the teachers to watch them, the recordings back themselves. And we'll watch them too. And then we'll meet and talk about what we saw and kind of recalibrate our lenses to make sure that we're interpreting things the same way. So um, hopefully we can continue to use that, uh, that video component when we go back in person and, and to the volume that we are right now. Can I ask, let's look, can we dig into that just for a second? What oh, yeah. tools do you use, you know, like brand name tools do you use to record, to leave feedback on? Um, uh, well, what does that look like? So right now, because um, all of our teachers, even when they have some kids in person, have some students who are remote, so they're all on Google Meets already. Um, so typically, they're just hitting the record button on their Google Meet session um, right now, which is why we might have to revisit how we record um, when we're back in person and when everyone's back in person. Um, but it's been convenient. To, to have people record their sessions because it's, I'll, you know, we'll send an email maybe the day before and say, hey, do you mind recording? And then they'll just hit a button, um, which is, is nice. <laughs> yeah, we've lucked out some, some of the teachers we've worked with have doc cams too. It's not something that everyone has that, I mean, the district doesn't necessarily provide those, but um, that's been another tool or name brand system, I guess you could say, that's been helpful when it's available. And then when you leave feedback, are you doing that asynchronously? Like, do you take the video and pop it into a Google 
slides or a Google uh, doc and leave comments? Or is it just, hey, let's watch this together. And I kind of made notes to the side that we talk about. Yeah, it's, it's been more of a, a collaborative conversation. I, um, at this stage, while we're still working to establish the program and build rapport, uh, I don't know how comfortable I would feel just leaving a bunch of notes uh, for them to read. It's just funny how people can interpret text, myself included. Mm -hmm. um, so it I just feels a lot better to give that information um, not face to face, but face to screen, I guess it would be. Um, <laughs> um, so that's kind of how we prioritize the, the feedback component, but then we do oftentimes provide follow-up emails, follow-up resources, and, and sometimes there's some feedback embedded in there too. That makes so much sense to me. I mean, I think one of the big, the big parts that, that is talked about in different coaching circles is that establishing rapport at first and people are, have to have a trust with the coach. And so putting stuff in text, like you said, it can be so easily misinterpreted. I could see that being a strategy you use once rapport is established. And I trust Mark, I trust Meryl. Yeah, go ahead, leave some comments. It's something, it's a future strategy you can use as opposed to an initial one. Yeah. Yeah. Meryl, did you were gonna say something? Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I, Mark and I have conversations all the time. Um, we'll meet weekly just to talk about um, how things are going and different different materials we want to develop and things we kind of want to do related to coaching and otherwise. Um, and there are a lot. There have been a lot of instances where we have a thought and we wanna we want to do something, but then we have to scale back and say, wait a second does this have the potential to undermine our relationship mm -hmm. with um, one of our coaching participants? Mm -hmm. And whenever there's that chance, we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it really reminds me of, of back in graduate school or undergrad where you're doing those sessions in the university clinic and it's recorded. And then you go into the room with the super, I mean, that's how vulnerable this stuff can be. So mm -hmm. Um, that we, we do not take that for granted. If a teacher or SLP gets to a point that they're comfortable with us recording and we're working on that level, um, we, we cherish that and really, um, try and take care of that as much as we can. I think that's so wise. I just think that's so wise. It makes so much sense, um, to, to build that rapport and establish that trust before moving there. And having that as a forethought, you know, as opposed to going, oh man, I wish I hadn't have done that, you know, um, having that if it's a part of every conversation in the front of your mind just is so uh, poignant. All right, let me ask kind of the final question that I like to ask, and that is, you know, you, you here are people that are working in AAC, you're working in a coaching capacity. What's got you sort of curious about the future? What what are you kind of wondering about? You've already kind of established that you are fans of the literature and that you're kind of uh, questing after new knowledge. What's kind of kicking around in your brain? I have two very unrelated areas where my mind goes with that question. Okay. Um, I think I think Mark knows what one is that I'm going to mention is going to be because I bring it up constantly, um, and that's the need for equity. Um, and I know it's come up in relation to AAC in terms of representation, um, which is extremely important, but I also think there's the broader conversation about equity in terms of access um, and how we create an environment where there is 
equitable access to necessary technology for everyone who needs it. Um, and I don't know necessarily how we get there, but I want to get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I could, of course, I couldn't agree more. That is exactly my, um, and the kind of the, one of the missions of the podcast, I think that Rachel and I share is to try and shine a light on that, the, the inequities and make a, a challenge to everybody to, to attack that and um, put strategies and resources and make a systematic change, you know, that changes for everybody. Mark, what about you? What's kicking around in your head? I have a couple that I came prepared to talk about, but not in too much detail because I'm still learning myself about these topics. Um, so I'm curious about open source AAC. There's a variety of resources in that respect. Uh, and when I think of language, you know, at least verbal language, it's something that is a, a cultural, there's a cultural component and it's just a necessity. So I, I just hope we can get to a point that AAC as a language base can be viewed in a similar fashion. I mean, we don't restrict who can go learn a different language, a verbal language um, based on fun. And I, I understand that there are companies and they, um, they have gotten us to this point with various innovations. So there, there's a need for companies as well. Um, but I, I hope maybe we can have more conversations about how to have open access AAC available to more people. And I guess that would lend itself to the equity conversation too. Um, I'm also curious about, you know, especially in larger school districts like ours at CPS. Yeah, so just, you know, with the pandemic, there, there's been this influx of equipment for remote learning. And I'm just curious how we can use that equipment in a, in a more efficient and effective way as it, as it maybe becomes obsolete. Is there a way to recycle laptops and iPads that are new now, but 10 years from now may not be? Um, and, and like you were describing, that's something that we've been doing recently with the iPad 2s. We've, we've been able to introduce them to teachers and speech pathologists to use as interim supports or classroom modeling supports while they're waiting to get maybe a, a formal evaluation and get uh, equipment in the hands of the students. So uh, again, speaking to that equity conversation, how do we use the resources we have as smart as we possibly can in, uh, in our school districts? And is there anything else you're curious about? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty curious about uh, open source AAC. So we don't necessarily restrict who can learn uh, different verbal languages. So I, I'd like to see some kind of a movement to provide access to AAC on a larger scale where it's not blocked by uh, uh, financial restrictions. And I, I know that there's there's certainly a need for the companies that we all know very well because they, they're leading the innovation and leading the charge. And we wouldn't be where we are today without them. But um, I do think that there's a space for a conversation for uh, providing open access AAC and expanding that as an opportunity for people. And again, that just leads into the equity conversation that Merrill was describing. And um, I know I'm, I'm rambling now, Chris. I've got a lot of things I'm excited about. <laughs> But um, another thing is just collaboration across different school districts. So sometimes we tend to operate in our own bubbles and 
things can be going very smoothly, but we may be unaware of other opportunities or other opportunities or other ways to do things. So um, we, we've actually been able to collaborate quarterly with uh, the team, the AAC team out in the city of in uh, New York City, I'm sorry, Lindsay Huntley and Colleen Warren, and as well as the team at LA Unified School District. And I can't tell you the number of ideas that we've gotten from them that we've been able to implement into our own school district and our own processes. And even though our systems vary differently, even in terms of referrals and how interprofessional collaboration works, some of the things that we have discussed have just been tremendously helpful to implement in our own, in our own district. So uh, I hope we can continue those efforts moving forward. It's interesting too, um, because that idea of collaboration across teams, you know, that Mark is talking about is really what sparked me to reach out to you, Chris, um, because we've been looking for a network of AAC coaches. Um, you know, who coaches the coach? We're, we're helping each other. We're trying to develop this, but we want, we want more ideas. We want to be able to network with more people. Um, and, and we've been searching and we've been lucky enough within Illinois to connect with instructional coaches, mm -hmm. but we really want to be able at some point to create a network of people who center their their AAC practice around coaching um so that we can we can learn from others absolutely so Meryl, if you've been searching and you can't find anything you know what that means we need to make it <laughs> you need to make it <laughs> so let us know what the facebook group is or whatever you, you you decide to however you decide to structure it let us know we will shout it from the rooftops we will be the first ones there to sign up because i'm i'm sure it'll become super popular because this is going to continue to grow because of the, the necessity of it we would absolutely love that, Mark. We need a we need a talk and set something up. <laughs> no, yeah, we we actually should make something. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea, Chris. <laughs> well, it's your idea. I'm just f fostering it and championing it. <laughs> They're coaching us. Help you do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, any other final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I look forward to our ongoing collaboration too. I think we have a, a meeting with some of the folks in your your school district is it in april right it is yeah this is not going to be the last time we talk we um have set up a time where we're going to have a conversation with the the people i work with with my day job um and uh i know that they are all looking forward to it we just uh had a meeting like a few days ago like you know today's uh today's a thursday we had a meeting on tuesday and i told them hey we've got some uh aac implementation coaches coming to visit with us and they were like what they got a full-time job what you know everyone's ears uh uh everyone's ears pricked up you know what i mean so yeah. um so i know we're all really excited to uh continue this this relationship and this uh, ongoing collaboration we're excited too thanks so much for having us hey thank you and thanks so much for the work you're doing um i know it's just started for you but i know it's, it's going to be you're already doing what sounds like amazing work and i know it's just going to continue so thank you thank you for being champions for aac and thank you for being champions of coaching Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Chris. And, and don't forget, you, you're going to have to get a lunch with Jennifer at some point. She's not going to let you get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure to have, have lunch with Jennifer. I, I cannot wait till, the, till I can get back to Chicago or 
you know, if she comes back home to Virginia, yeah. tell her to look, tell her to look me up. I, I'm buying. <laughs> <laughs>